My name is Albert. I am the district superintendent for the Church of the Nazarene in Northern California. It's wonderful to be with you in this special way this morning. Let me start this morning's message with a question. What was your best day ever? What happened on that day? What made it so great? Uh, we all have bad days and good days. There are some terrible, no good, horrible, very bad days when nothing seems to go right. And then there are good days, days that are full of celebration and blessing and hope and joy. But most of our days, to be honest, are kind of mediocre. Uh, nothing particularly special happens. A lot of them are forgettable. Nothing to see here, nothing to write home about. And if you have enough of those days strung together, you can start to feel kind of stuck. Uh, some people feel stuck in a rut at work or at school or in their relationships or finances. Uh, we can get stuck in habits uh, that we can't seem to break. We can feel emotionally stuck, spiritually stuck. Things are not terrible, but they're not great either. And sometimes we wonder, is this all there is? You know, wake up, eat, work, sleep, repeat. Do you ever feel like you're just going through the same motions, the same old routine day after day, and it all just kind of morphs together? You just feel blah, empty, bored. Maybe it's more serious than that. Maybe life has lost its luster for you and you feel lost or aimless, discouraged, maybe even depressed, maybe even a little bit desperate. Does God care about stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. God cares very much about the quality of our lives. We were created to live meaningful and satisfying and fruitful lives. God is a good father who wants his children to thrive. He wants more for us. He's always leading us forward, calling us to something deeper, greater, better. God doesn't do boring. He brought you and me into this world for a purpose. God has an incredible plan for all of humanity. Now, you and I not only get a front row uh, seat, we get to be on the front lines. So how do we start living that kind of life? And what does that have to do with the birth of Christ? Well, I want you to watch a science experiment that illustrates an important truth about life. See if you can figure it out. Time to have a little bit of fun. Carl Nelson is here from the Imagination Station, and you brought some funky new, new glasses. Glasses. You. Thank you. Exactly. I'll put these on. Looking styling. What are we doing today? I brought with me hydrogen peroxide. Okay. You probably have this in the medicine cabinet at home. So what I brought with me is 35% hydrogen peroxide. This oh. is 10 times stronger than what you have at home, hence the gloves and the glasses. You don't want to get this on your skin. Okay. And it gives off oxygen gas if you give it a catalyst, like catalase, mm -hmm. or I brought a different catalyst with me. Now it's really cool because it can generate enormous amounts of oxygen gas. So we're gonna trap that oxygen gas in some soap. Okay? Okay. We'll do a nice little squirt of soap in yours. I'll do one in mine. And what we're gonna do is simply pour a catalyst into this container of hydrogen peroxide. We'll break down the hydrogen peroxide into water and oxygen gas. Let me do mine first. Let's, okay. let's do a little test here. See what mine looks like, and then you can try yours. So that's the technique. Just dump it right in and see what happens. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay, so 
Whoa. We're releasing okay. lots and lots of <laughs> lots and lots of oxygen gas. Okay. So why don't you go ahead and do yours now? Yours is a little bit different container. It's got just dump it in really quick. Okay. Perfect. Yours is like more of a <laughs> and you just generate tons and tons of oxygen. It's being trapped by the soap. Wow. Okay. But okay. it is. If you stick your hand over that, you can feel it's giving off some, some, oh, some heat. heat. Yeah. It's an exothermic reaction. So it gives off a lot of heat when it breaks down. I thought that you were gonna fill up the entire screen. They wouldn't <laughs> see us anymore. <laughs> well, and you can see it's it, I mean it's still going. I mean it's still yeah. it's still generating a tremendous amount of oxygen for the volume of liquid that we started with. Carl Nelson, you never cease to amaze me and I learn something new every single week. Okay, so what happens when you mix hydrogen peroxide with soap and yeast? Excitement, that's what. Uh, yeast acts as a catalyst, breaking down the hydrogen peroxide into oxygen and water in a matter of seconds. Now, there's a lot of oxygen trapped in peroxide. So when it gets released, it pushes out with great force. And the soap that is mixed in with it is what creates all of that foam. So what's the life lesson here? Well, the principle is this. For change to occur, you need a catalyst. When you introduce a new variable into an otherwise uh, stable or static environment, stuff happens. And uh, many of the, the best, most exciting days that we experience are when something happens to disturb the equilibrium of our lives. Uh, there we are, we're just coming along, doing our thing, and then bam, we meet somebody, or uh, we learn something, or uh, we travel somewhere, we, we get a new job, we have kids, and we're never the same. Change requires a catalyst. All growth requires the introduction of a foreign element into an otherwise static environment. That's basically how life works. And so with that in mind, let's read the opening words of the Gospel of John. And as we celebrate the birth of Christ today, let's reflect on the enormous ramifications of this story. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing has been made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all humankind. The light that shines in the darkness, that that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not recognize him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a, a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. How often do you stop to reflect on the enormity of this statement? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. For thousands of years, the world had been subjected to it to, to an endless cycle of greed and violence and struggle and hate. And then into this static environment comes Jesus. Jesus does something new. God does something new. God becomes flesh. God comes into his own creation that we might see his glory. And you would expect something to happen, wouldn't you? Well, listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah more than 700 years before the birth of Christ. This is what God said would happen when the Messiah came. In Isaiah 9, the scriptures say, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. And they rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. You have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace and of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end and listen to what jesus said about his own purpose about the significance of his arrival into the world. In Luke 4, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then in John 10, 10, he says, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. Whoever believes in me will never die. Whoever comes to me will never hunger or thirst again. Whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow from them into the lives of others. When you introduce a new variable into an otherwise static environment, stuff happens. All change requires a catalyst. And so when Jesus was born, stuff happened. Luke 2 records that there were shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks at night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior 
has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And a, and a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth uh, to those on whom his favor rests. When Jesus started his ministry, stuff happened. Matthew 4 uh, records that Jesus was, was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Simon, called Peter, and, and his brother, Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake because they were fishermen. And Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. When Jesus encountered the sick, stuff happened. In Matthew 4, 23, we read that Jesus, he, he went throughout Galilee, uh, teaching in the synagogues and, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among all the people. And news about Jesus spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain and the demon-possessed and those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Whenever Jesus opened his mouth and spoke, stuff happened. Uh, when he preached on a hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee, he said things like this. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek. He, he said, you are the salt of the earth. You are actually the light of the world. He said, you know, you've heard it said, do, do not murder. You shall not murder. But I say to you, anybody who is angry without cause, with, with a brother or a sister, will be subject to judgment. He said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, right? That's how the world works. He said, I say to you, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Jesus, whenever he spoke, he upset the status quo. And when he spoke, people listened. Assumptions were challenged, minds were opened, hearts were changed. And here's the, here's the crazy thing. The same is supposed to be true of the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the feet and hands of Jesus. And so when the church moves in the world, stuff is supposed to happen. When the word of God is preached, lives change. Hebrews 12.1 says that the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, and even to dividing the, the soul and the spirit and joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. When we bear witness to the good news of God, lives are supposed to change. Acts 1.8, uh, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When the church, when we work to bless our communities in Jesus's name, stuff happens, lives change, churches are planted, schools are established, hospitals are built, diseases are eliminated, the hungry are fed, the poor are lifted up, Lives are transformed when the church seeks to bless its community. John 1.14, 1 
says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The arrival of Jesus set in motion a chain of events that has changed everything. Good news. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. Wherever Jesus went, lives changed. Wherever his word is preached, people's lives change. Wherever his spirit goes, people's lives change. Wherever his church is established, people's lives are supposed to change. Jesus is the catalyst who continually disrupts the equilibrium of our lives in order to bring about the change that our world so desperately needs. He upsets our comfortable little lives. He breaks us out of those ruts that we are stuck in. He shakes us up and sends us out as his ambassadors. Following Jesus is all about one change after another because Jesus is always leading us forward. And all this because 2,000 years ago, a child was born in a tiny backwater town called Bethlehem. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And so here's the question I have for you, my friends. When Jesus came into your life, did anything happen? When Jesus came into your life, did anything happen? Was there a reaction of some kind? Did Jesus change your life in some way? Was there a, an outpouring of love from your life? Were you able to forgive someone who hurt you? Did the Lord help you to experience significant healing? Did the gospel radically change the way that you think and the way that you act? Did it change your choices? When, when Jesus came into your life, did it affect how you spend your money, what you read, what you watch, how you spend your free time, how you live? Maybe you changed careers. That's what happened to me. Has Jesus changed your view of retirement, what you do with your remaining days, what you want to do with your estate? Jesus is the catalyst that disturbs the equilibrium of our lives and takes us on this journey of continual growth and change. And it doesn't end until we pass from this life and enter the kingdom of heaven. The birth of Jesus changed the trajectory of human history. So the question is, has Jesus changed the trajectory of my history? in my family's history? Have I asked Jesus to disturb the equilibrium of my life? Will I allow Jesus, even invite Jesus, to shake me out of my routine and to be the catalyst that launches me into a new way of thinking and being and living? This is the kind of church that the world needs. When the world sees Christians who have not been radically changed 
by the gospel, people legitimately question the truth of our claims and the sincerity of our faith. Someone uh, posted in a forum on the internet, uh, he said, at my church, we get advice from the pulpit, how to have a happier marriage, how to have a better life, how to vote. And, and sometimes it's good advice, but it's not anything different than, than I could have gotten from the Huffington Post. Why bother with all the church baggage when there's nothing said that fundamentally challenges who I am and where I am headed? Novelist uh, Reynolds Price explained that he left church in the 60s, not only because at that time the church was racially segregated, but because it had forgotten what people need the most. He, he said, I'd go to church and they would ask me to, to coach kids basketball or help in the church kitchen or attend a fellowship supper. Listen, church is supposed to be where God lives. So if a church doesn't make the outrageous assertion that God is a Jew from Nazareth who rose from the dead and makes our lives much more difficult and demanding, it is intellectually uninteresting. N.T. Wright, theologian, uh, puts it this way. He said, the gospel is the good news that the living God is indeed establishing his kingdom here on earth as in heaven through the finished work of Jesus, and is inviting people of all sorts to share not only in the benefits of the kingdom, but also in the work through which it will come to its ultimate completion. So God's intention for you and for me is not to live a comfortable, mediocre life where nothing much happens. God is calling us to something bigger, to something deeper, to something greater. And this is true, no matter how young or how old we are, no matter our financial situation or educational background or political views, Jesus wants to do a new thing in your life and he wants to do it today. He will get under our skins and light a fire under us and challenge us and where we are headed. I've heard some people say, yeah, but we're old. We're not going to change. Listen, if you've not read the Bible, God loves to prove that assumption wrong. He loves taking people who think that they are too old to change, and he does amazing, amazing things with them. Moses and Aaron were chosen to lead the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery at the ages of 80 and 83. Joshua and Caleb led the Israelites into the promised land in their 80s. Daniel served God for over 70 years. He was well over 80 when he served as governor of the kingdom of Babylon when, when he was thrown into the lion's den, when he received that series of visions. Zacharias and Elizabeth were well advanced in years when they became parents to John the Baptist. The most productive time in the Apostle Paul's life was in his later years. He traveled preaching the gospel and planted churches and mentored young leaders and wrote letters from prison. Friends, no matter how old we are, young or old, are we allowing Jesus to do something new in our lives? Would you let God shake up your routine? 
join a small group at church if you've never done that before. Accept that invitation to serve in that ministry. Get to know somebody new in your neighborhood. Go back to school. Apply for that new job. Make an appointment with that therapist that you know you need to see. Join that recovery group. Uh, Sign up for that mission trip. Don't talk yourself out of it. You're you're never going to get out of that rut until you let God upset and disrupt the equilibrium of your life and lead you into something new. You and I need this. (laughs) Let's not get stuck. Let's keep moving forward. Jesus is the catalyst that disturbs the equilibrium of our lives and takes us on a journey of continual growth and change. So on this Christmas day, this is the gift that I pray that you are able to open, the gift of a changed life the gift of following God's plan for you, the gift that comes only when we completely surrender to Jesus. Let's pray together. God, you didn't come so that our lives could just continue on the way that they were. You are the catalyst that comes in and disturbs our lives and ushers in a lifetime of continual change. And it's exciting and it's scary, but it's good. And so, Lord, would you help us to just surrender everything to you? And on this day, to remember that the birth of Jesus, you coming into the world, changed the course of human history, and you coming into our lives is meant to change the course of our history, our story. Lord, would you write a new story with our lives? And we praise you today. On Christmas, thank you, Lord God. You are so good to us. We love you. We celebrate you. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, it was so good to be with you this morning. I pray you have a wonderful, wonderful day. Eat lots of good food and be with people that you love and that love you. And I just pray that the Lord meets you today in a very special way. Merry Christmas.